So let's turn together in our Bibles to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1. And we're going to read verses 9 through 12. Colossians 1, 9 through 12. And when you find that in your Bible, please stand for the reading of God's Word. So the title of today's teaching is, Live a Life Worthy of the Lord. In Colossians 1, 9 through 12, the Apostle Paul says to the saints in Colossae, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of His will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. Are we living a life worthy of the Lord? Are we pleasing God in every way? Is that kind of life even possible? Well, as we'll see today, that kind of life is the Lord's will for all of us. So Paul teaches us at least two things we've all got to do to live a life that is worthy of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your precious word. And as we study the subject of how to live lives that are worthy of you, give us wisdom and understanding from the Holy Spirit to understand the truth and give us grace to put the truth into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first thing we must do to live a life worthy of the Lord is we must keep praying for complete comprehension of God's will. And notice how Paul starts Colossians 1.9. He says, for this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Now, Paul's reason for praying for the saints in Colossae is because he'd heard about their faith in Christ Jesus. Epaphras told Paul about how the Colossians heard the true gospel, truly understood God's grace, and their understanding was causing the gospel to bear fruit and grow among them. And part of that fruit was the love that the Holy Spirit produced in them for all of God's people. And Paul says since the first day that he'd heard this about them, he had never stopped praying for God's people. Now, this is the second time in nine verses Paul mentions how he was constantly praying for God's people. That Paul treated prayer like it was his job. Why did he do that? Because it is or it was Paul's job. And like Paul, all of us who are a part of God's people, we need to treat prayer like it's our job. Because it is our job. The Scriptures teach us that God's people are a kingdom of priests. We're a royal priesthood. So part of your calling and my calling as priests of God is a call to constant prayer. Prayer is the work of all God's people. Prayer is a work that all God's people can do. And it's the most important work any of us can do. The great saints of God have always understood the truth James puts so precisely in James 5.16 when he says, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. God's people have always been a praying people. Paul was constantly praying for God's people. Later in Colossians, Paul says that Epaphras was constantly wrestling in prayer for God's people. Think about it. He's wrestling in prayer. This means he's He's got some action involved. He's he's really getting in there trying to, like Jacob did in the Old Testament. He's wrestling with God. Oh, give me what I need, God. Give your people what they need. He's wrestling in prayer with God for God's people. 
And when we read through the New Testament, we see that the other apostles were constantly praying. And the whole church was constantly praying in the temple, in the synagogues, and from house to house. See, God's people knew the power of prayer, so they practiced prayer constantly. And every example that I just gave, what those people were doing, they're just practicing what they learned from our Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus prayed constantly while he was on the earth. The Gospels teach us that the Lord Jesus often withdrew from everyone and went to private places to pray to his Father. This is shocking to some people when they read these things because we're, we're under the impression that Jesus just hung around with people all the time. He's always, he healed everybody who came to him. It's not true. Read the Gospels. There were times when people were coming to Jesus to get ministered to, and he withdrew from them to go and pray. Why? Because Jesus knows there's power in prayer. At times, Jesus spent the whole night in prayer to God. And what is Jesus doing right now? Well, Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father, and he's interceding for, he's praying for all of us. Jesus is still constantly praying for God's people. So whenever we pray, we find ourselves in the company of God's saints and God's sons. We're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who are constantly praying for the Lord's people. The Lord has given us the great privilege, but also the great responsibility to pray for his people. So let's devote ourselves to prayer. Let's be consistent in this most important work. Now, we all need help with what to pray, right? Sometimes we're like, I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to pray about. I don't know how to pray. But we need help with that. We need to know what to ask the Lord to do for his people. So Paul goes on in Colossians 1.9 to tell us exactly what he was continually asking God to do for God's people. Paul says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. Now, this does not mean that the saints in Colossae did not know God's will. Well, they most certainly did. They'd heard God's will in the true gospel. They'd been taught the true faith. They'd received Christ Jesus as Lord, and they had a disciplined, strong, and obedient faith in Jesus. So Paul's not praying that God would reveal something new to them, something they never heard before. Instead, the Greek word behind the word knowledge means to fully recognize something, to have a full understanding of something, or to completely comprehend something. Now, Paul used the verbal form of this word back in Colossians 1.6, where he said the saints in Colossae had truly understood God's grace. Some translations translate this as truly experienced God's grace. So what Paul is praying for is that just as they had completely comprehended what, had, what they'd been taught in the true gospel about God's grace, well, Paul kept praying that God's saints would completely comprehend everything they'd been taught about God's will for them in Christ. As Paul says in Colossians 2, 2 and 3, he was constantly contending in prayer for all the saints so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's important that we understand that God's will for our lives is all wrapped up in his son, Jesus Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in a person, and that person is Christ Jesus. And Paul says the treasures God has given us in Christ are hidden. Who are they hidden from? 
these truths are hidden from the natural mind, hidden from the worldly wise. So to know the treasures God has for us in Christ, we need a spiritual mind. We need supernatural help to completely comprehend the full riches of God's will for us in Christ. And at the end of Colossians 1.9, Paul tells us where this supernatural help come from, comes from. He says the complete comprehension of God's will comes through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So to completely comprehend God's will, we need spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. And both of those are given to us, to God's people, by the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul teaches the same truth again in 1 Corinthians 2.12, where he says, What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. So God gives his spirit to all of his people so that through God's spirit, we can gain a complete understanding of what God has freely given us in Christ. But this understanding does not come automatically or without any effort on our part. But like Paul, we need to keep praying for this, not just for ourselves, but for all of our brothers and sisters in the church. So let's all be like Paul. Let's constantly contend for ourselves and all the Lord's people in prayer. And let's turn Paul's prayer into our prayer. Let's pray, Lord, fill your people with a complete comprehension of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. You want to learn how to pray, this is how you learn how to pray. You take the Scriptures, turn those into prayer. Let's pray that prayer over and over like Paul did. Paul said he kept praying, Lord, fill your people with a complete comprehension of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So let's make that our prayer for ourselves and all of God's people. And as we keep praying this prayer, let's remember what the Scriptures teach us in 1 John 5.14. John says this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. So when we pray the scriptures, turn the scriptures into our own prayers, we know that with absolute certainty, we're praying according to God's will. The scriptures tell us God's will for our lives. So when we turn Paul's prayer into our prayer, we can know with certainty that if we keep asking God to fill us with a complete comprehension of his will, well, we know that he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, then we also know that he will give us what we ask from him. And as we were talking about earlier, it's not always on our timing, but if we keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking, the door will eventually be open to us. So let's believe that promise, and let's keep asking or keep praying for a complete comprehension of God's will. And why do we need this complete comprehension? It's is it so that we can argue with each other and say, I got more knowledge than you have? Look at these things that I found in the Scriptures. Is, it, is that the reason that he gives us that we need this wisdom? No, it's so that we can live a life worthy of the Lord. See, living a life worthy of the Lord takes more than just comprehending God's will. So when we know God's will, we've got to do something with that knowledge. And that's the second thing we must do to live a life worthy of the Lord. Not only must we keep praying for complete comprehension of God's will, we must also keep practicing complete compliance to God's will. In Colossians 1.10, Paul says, the reason we need a complete comprehension of God's will is so that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way. 
So what Paul's saying here is our knowledge of God's will must become a practical knowledge. It must get from our heads to our hearts and then from our hearts to our hands as we strive through God's grace to obey Christ's commands. So when we truly understand who God is and when we understand God's will for us is to make us like him so that we become by grace what Jesus is by nature, when we understand that everything God wills for us in Christ is only for our good, well, that understanding should motivate us to surrender ourselves to God and live in complete compliance with God's good, pleasing, and perfect will for our lives. But what does a life like that look like? Well, Paul goes on to show us at least two ways we practice complete compliance to God's will. The first, we practice complete compliance to God's will by being fruitful in all good works. In Colossians 1.10, Paul says, God's will is that we keep on bearing fruit in every good work. The Christian life is a fruitful life. It's a life where God's people reflect the good character of our good God by doing good works. Not just some good works, but in all the good works God created us to do and gives us grace to do in Christ. And we must do those good works, not just to some people, but to all people. Christians must do to those who are good, sorry, Christians must do good to those who are good to us and to those who are not, to those who love us and to those who hate us, because that's God's will for us in Christ. And when we practice complete compliance to God's will by being fruitful in all good works, then as Paul says at the end of Colossians 1.10, as we bear fruit in all good works, we will keep growing in the knowledge of God. It's not just about reading the Scriptures and understanding the Scriptures that gives us a a knowledge of God. It's as we do what the Scriptures say, we become closer to God. We get a greater knowledge of Him. God is good, and God does good to all. So when we do good works, we're doing God's work. We're doing what God does. And as we do what God does, we gain a deeper knowledge of who God is. Our knowledge of God becomes a practical knowledge. We taste and we see that the Lord is good. And we want more and more of God as we walk in his ways. But that's not all. By bearing fruit in all good works, we also give the world a true taste of what God is like. I'm just going to say, I'll try to be real nice about this, but Christians in America, we talk too much. Right? We talk too much. We're not quick to, we're not quick to listen and slow to speak. We're quick to speak and slow to listen and very, very quick to become angry, right? So I said all that to say, what the American society needs to see from Christians today is not more Christians talking about the Lord. They need to see more people living like the Lord, living the life that God would live if he was standing in front of them, because that's what we're supposed to be, representatives of Christ, right? So when we live that kind of life, that should awaken the people around us. It should awaken their appetite for more of God and more of God's ways. And this is why in Matthew 5.16, Jesus tells his followers to let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds or your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. So when God's children are engaged in all the good works that he's created us to do in Christ, it's never to draw attention to ourselves. No, our good works shine a light and draw attention to the character of our Father in heaven. 
you know, our works are just works of the flesh, right? Works of the flesh. That's what we would do without God. But with God, we're able to do the works he wants us to do. And when we practice complete compliance to God's will, and when people see our good works, it should lead them to give glory to our Father. Why? Because it's only by God's grace that we're able to completely comply with God's will. It's only by God's divine energy at work in us that we're able to be fruitful in all the good works God created us to do in Christ. None of us can do any of that on our own. We certainly can't love our enemies in our own strength. It's just not possible, right? We need the energy of God who, is bo- who we're born again through his spirit, and he gives us the ability to live that life he's called us to live. And that brings us to the second and final way we practice complete compliance to God's will. We do it by being strengthened with all God's power. As Paul says in Colossians 1, 11 through 12, we please God in every way by being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience and give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. The Christian life is a blessed life. It's the best life. It's the life that we were created to live. But that does not mean it's an easy life. No, a life that's worthy of the Lord is a life that is lived like the Lord Jesus lived, right? And the life that the Lord Jesus lived is a life where we have crosses to carry. It's a life with conflicts to conquer. And in this life, there will be trials and troubles. There will be temptations and tests. There will be many hardships that we must learn to endure as we learn to walk just as Jesus walked in a world where we're not welcome. And unlike our tendency today, Jesus never sugarcoated this for his disciples. Jesus counseled people to count the cost before they picked up their cross, before they made that decision to follow him. Jesus told people this is a narrow road that leads to life, a difficult road that leads to life. In John 15, 18, Jesus told his disciples very directly, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. I think too many of us want to get around the fact that Jesus said that we're not greater than he is, right? If he is persecuted, we're going to be persecuted. That's what he's saying right here. We're not going to dodge that. We can't get around it. It's part of the life that he's called us to live. And in Mark 13, 13, Jesus paints an even darker picture of what his disciples can expect in this world. He says, everyone will hate you because of me. Everyone will hate you because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. I don't think I've ever heard that said in the presentation of a gospel, the gospel message. You guys ever heard that? When somebody called you and said, you want to come follow Jesus? Well, everybody's going to hate you once you make that decision. But that's what Jesus is saying, right? You make that decision to follow him, you're going to be hated by the world. You don't belong to the world anymore. See, in this world, people who love darkness and hate the light will hate us who follow the light of the world. We will be hated. We will be persecuted. And that's the battle for everyone who decides to live a godly life in Christ. But here's the big thing we all need to hear. 
We're not in this battle alone, and we're certainly not expected to fight this battle in our own strength. Instead, we have the almighty Lord of heavenly armies on our side to strengthen us. So we can only patiently endure all the things and that God has told us, all the things that the world would do to us, and live the kind of life that God wants us to live as we live his will until the end if we're strengthened with God's power. God's divine energy has got to be at work in us, and we have to cooperate with God's grace in order to live the life he wants us to live. Now, this is the power, this grace, this power, this energy is what Paul describes variously as mighty power. Listen to these things that, God, that, that uh, Paul says about God's power. It's mighty power, exceedingly great power, incomparably great and glorious power. It was the same power God the Father used to raise Christ from the dead and exalt him to the place of universal supremacy at the Father's right hand. That is big power. It's miraculous power. And it's that power, that divine energy that's always available to all God's people to empower us to practice God's will. What this means for us is we never need to give in to any temptations. We never need to live a life that's anything other than what Christ would have for us because we can turn from all the bad things and do all the good things, not in our own strength, but through the strength that God provides, the miraculous power of God that's always at work in his people. Paul says that that miraculous power strengthens us so that we can patiently endure everything we face in this world for Christ's sake as we live lives that are worthy of the Lord. But God's power does even more than just strengthen us through those times or through the things that we face in this world. But through God's divine energy at work within us, through the Holy Spirit, we're not only able to patiently endure every difficulty for doing God's will, we're also energized by divine grace to give joyful thanks to our Father right in the middle of our difficulty. Through God's glorious might, we have the power to praise God through our problems. Through God's glorious might, we have the power to praise God through our problems. Now, maybe you hear that and you think, you know, that sounds real good, but does anybody really ever praise God through their problems? Does anybody really practice what Jesus said to his disciples? Uh, Rejoice when you're persecuted for my namesake. Rejoice. Does anybody really ever do that? Well, let me show you that Paul practiced what he preaches here. In the book of Acts, Luke tells us a story about Paul and Silas. They've been, they preached the gospel and all these things, and they were arrested, and they were badly beaten with rods. Their backs are bruised and battered. Their feet are fastened with chains to the wall of a dark dungeon. And what were Paul and Silas doing? Well, Luke tells us in Acts 16, 25, he says, Now about midnight, and what, by the way, this is an hour of prayer. So they're up at the hour of prayer Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. So what were Paul and Silas doing in this difficult circumstance? They'd just been beat up for the sake of the Lord. What did they do? They said, oh, the Lord has forsaken us. This is terrible. They don't do that. They do what they always do. They pray to God at midnight, and they're praying, and they're singing hymns of praise to God right in the center of severe suffering this severe suffering that they've endured for doing God's will. Paul and Silas didn't throw a pity party to themselves. No, they allowed the power of God to energize them, to offer hymns of praise to God. And 
I'm going to go off my notes for a minute because I just thought about this. It says that the prisoner, other prisoners were listening to them. So they're being witnesses to these other prisoners through the things that they're doing. Not just to what they're saying, but what they're doing, right? So they got beat up for the Lord Jesus. Now they're praising the Lord because they got beat up for the Lord Jesus, and everybody's listening to them. And you see later on in that story that at least the jailer there got converted, right? Got converted. I mean, it doesn't say anything about the other people, but we can, I mean, I guess we can assume. But it had an effect on people is what I'm trying to say. The way that they lived their lives had an effect on people. They let their light shine before others, and then other people saw their good deeds and glorified their Father in heaven. And you and I, just like Paul and Silas, we can do the same. And you and I will do the same when we're continually being strengthened with all God's power. You know, when hard times come to Christians and when things don't go our way in this world, we can be tempted just like everybody around us to complain, to become discouraged, and it can seem impossible to do, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, it can seem impossible to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God, sorry, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It can seem impossible to do those things when we face trouble in this life. But let's always remember this truth. All things are possible with God. And if we'll keep our minds and our hearts on things above and not on earthly things, and if we'll keep our focus on the incredible inheritance our God and Father has qualified us for in the kingdom of light through Christ, and if we'll allow God's divine energy to work within us and empower us to keep praying, well then, no matter what difficulties we face in this world for doing God's will, we'll give joyful thanks to our Father as we patiently endure all things through his power. And I want to remind you that you can look around at the world right now and see that it's going to get much worse before it gets better. Now, I hear a lot of people claiming that God is going to do something great with America. I don't think so. God's not going to do anything great with America. America is going to come under judgment just like the rest of the nations always have when we forsake God and his will. So what are we going to do when that happens? That's, going to, that's what we need to focus on. Don't listen to people who tell you, oh, it's the false prophets who say stuff like that in the Old Testament. They always prophesied good stuff, right? Oh, the Lord is going to bless you. The Lord is going to do this. But the, the true prophets were the ones who came and said, no, the Lord is going to judge us, and we need to get ready for that. We need to repent of our sin. We need to turn and make sure we're ready. So that's what we all need to be doing at this time. Don't focus so much on what's going on in the world. Focus on what our inheritance is on the other side of this world, and that will keep us where our focus needs to be. See, we can change things in the world if we pray, right? We can do that. We can change things. But we're not, it's not necessarily going to be what we think it's going to be, right? We just pray to God and say, Lord, help us through this time of uh, struggle and judgment and all these things. We can, we can ask God for mercy. Have mercy on America. That's what we need to pray for. He doesn't owe America anything. We act like he does. He doesn't. He doesn't owe us anything. He does owe us judgment in, in a sense. So we can pray for mercy. That's what we should be praying. But just understand there's always going to be trouble in this world anyway for Christians. But as I said in this entire message, if we just trust in God, we trust in his power, we lean on him, we look to him, then we won't forsake our faith. We won't do anything that's uh, against the Lord's will, even in the, in the worst times that we face. So um, I'm going to go back to say this because I don't know where else to go. So no matter what difficulties we face in this world for doing God's will, we'll always give joyful thanks to our Father as we patiently endure all things through his power. That's God's will for his people.
So as we close, let's ask ourselves again, the things that I started with, are we living a life worthy of the Lord? Are we pleasing the Lord in every way? Well, as we've seen today, this is the Lord's will for all of his people. And that life is possible for all the Lord's people if we'll keep praying for complete comprehension of God's will and if we'll keep practicing complete compliance to God's will by being fruitful in all good works and by being strengthened with all God's power to give joyful thanks to God as we patiently endure all things for his sake. If we'll do all those things, we will live a life that's worthy of the Lord. We will please him in every way. And our great and glorious God and Father will get all the glory for the things that we do in his name. So let's all go in God's power and let's live a life worthy of the Lord. But before we do that, let's all stand for prayer. Holy Father, we thank you so much for revealing your will to us through your word. We ask you to help us to live out the truths we've uh, heard here today. Fill us with the knowledge of your will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live lives that are worthy of you and please you in every way. Lord, also strengthen us with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience and always give joyful thanks to you, now and always, in Jesus' name.